Good morning. Great to see you this morning. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View Church. I am holding in my hands the Ignite Fall Retreat Trophy, the Ignite Games. Very few names are honored by having their names engraved upon this trophy. I think I'm trying to get my name engraved on it, but they won't do it. You have to show up to the, the fall retreat. Anyways, our youth ministry, Ignite, is doing their fall retreat coming up. They wanted everybody to know about it. And this, this could be, your, your name could be on this amazing trophy. So if you're a youth, if you're watching this and you're wondering, um, yes, yes, your name could be engraved and forever remembered into all eternity as a champion of the Ignite Games. But anyways, yeah, so this is the trophy. Pretty, pretty impressive, right? It's actually pretty heavy. I'm starting to sweat carrying this thing around. Pretty impressive. All right, I promised Andrew I'd do that. What a great time of worship this morning. Uh, if this is your first time here uh, visiting with us, I'm so glad you're here with us today. Uh, we've been in the book of Mark, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark. Special weekend this weekend. Um, some really special things to pray for and some special people to recognize. Um, uh, any veterans here today, would you please stand, veterans that are here with us today? We want to take a moment and recognize these men and women who um, give up a part of their life to serve our country, to protect our freedoms. Um, veterans Day is coming up this week, and we want to take time to honor them. We honor you guys. We thank you for your service. And I want to take a moment just to pray for you guys and ladies right now, too. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these who um, are given a part of their life to serve our country, to protect our freedoms. Um, it is a great sacrifice that uh, few uh, take part of. We recognize that sacrifice, and we thank you that um, you've given them courage, uh, that you um, led them to that. And Father, we pray you bless them, protect them. And uh, bless their families. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your service. So, so thankful for that. All right, we've been in the book of Mark. It's been awesome so far. I've really, really enjoyed studying Mark again. I, I jump around through the Bible and just my own studies. And then I study for sermons and different things. And, and then I like to argue with the pastors about theology and everything else. So we're in the Bible all the time. And I'm jumping around everywhere. And this this time going through Mark, uh, there's something that's really stood out to me. I think um, it's really impactful, and I think it's going to be kind of a theme as we go through it. It's going to be kind of stirring up in us, and it's simply this. God really loves you. Like there's this, like we, you hear people say that, and you, you hear people talk about that. You hear pastors say it. You hear people share that all the time, that God loves you. But man, as we're going to go through Mark here, and as I'm studying forward through this thing, God really loves you. And that's going to be something that I think comes across in every sermon and everything that Jesus says and does. But here's the thing. We hear pastors say, God loves you. And then they really don't share Jesus' message all the time. They share this, this idea that, that God loves us with this unconditional, amazing, mind-blowing love, and it's all rainbows and unicorns Christianity. And what we're going to find out today, here's 
Jesus makes four proclamations in the text that we're going to be looking at today. And one of these proclamations is a statement that we just don't hear preached that often. But what we're going to find out, this is Jesus' message for the world today. What he's going to share. And we hear that God loves us. But he loves us so much that he was willing to say, Jesus was willing to say, repent and turn from your sin. That's how much God loves you. That he's willing to say the hard things, to work through the hard things. That's not, that's not a popular sermon, right? Repent and turn from your sins, right? That's, that's like, a, you want to shrink your church real quick, just start saying that every Sunday, right? And people run out the doors. But, but what we're going to find out today is that Jesus came making proclamations and his message to the world was one of repentance. And what that says to me is that God loves us so much, he's going to tell us the truth. He's going to speak truth to us through Jesus' life and through Jesus' words. I think this is so powerful. I think as the Holy Spirit um, empowers us to apply this truth to our lives, it will change your life. Who wants a life changed by the very creator, God? That's what this is all about. God wants to change your life. Let's pray before we read his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. The perfect life that he lived. Every word he shared was perfect. Every action he took was perfect. In him we see the perfection of God. Father, as we look deeper into Christ's life and his teachings, we pray that by the power of your spirit that lives in every believer would change our minds, would change our hearts. God, that it would change our tomorrow and our today, right now. We surrender to you, Father, and we say, have your way. May your truth trump every thought, every idea, every dream we have. We lay those things at your feet. We say, come be King of kings and Lord of lords in our midst, in our lives, now, today, and forever. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. All right, Mark chapter 1, I'm going to pick it up in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Man, that's a simple message, isn't it? It's just right there, right up front. That's what Jesus was preaching. Now, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. God's word for us today. All right, the first thing I want to look at, I said we have four proclamations, so there's four points in this sermon. The first one is this. Jesus proclaimed the time is fulfilled. He says it right up front, the time is fulfilled. What did he mean by the time is fulfilled? It means that it was time for the prophecies that had been given hundreds of years before, thousands of years, some given thousands of years earlier to be fulfilled. It was time for all of those things that had been talked about and promised for hundreds of years. It was time. This was it. 
Genesis 3.15, the Messiah would be born of a woman. Micah 5.2, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7.14, he would be born of a virgin. Genesis 12.3, he would come from the line of Abraham. Isaiah 7.14, he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Hosea 11.1, he would spend time in Egypt. Jeremiah 31.15, a massacre of children would happen at his birth. Psalm 69.8, he would be rejected by his own people. Psalm 2.7, he would be declared the son of God. I could go on and on and on and probably take about 30, 40 minutes for me just to read very quickly through all of these different prophecies, these foretelling things, these miraculous, supernatural, divine encounters with human beings, prophets, God speaking through them and declaring, my son is going to come. That's what Jesus was talking about. That's a part about. A part of what Jesus was talking about. The time has come. The time is fulfilled. Jesus was saying, now is the time. This is what you've been waiting for. All the promises, prophecies, the covenant that God made with the Hebrew people was now being fulfilled. The center of history, the focus of humanity, the hope for all people, the redemption, forgiveness, peace, joy, everything God had promised had come in person. It wasn't some idealistic thing. All of those things came in person, in the flesh, Jesus. God in his sovereignty and power decides when is the right time for everything. God sent his son into the world through a chosen people at a chosen time to a chosen woman and man at a chosen place. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Now, not only were prophecies fulfilled, but it means that it was the perfect time. It was the perfect time. God in his wisdom decided to send his son into the world at that providential time. It was no accident. It wasn't some reactionary thing where God was up in the sky somewhere looking down and seeing the course of humanity and going, oh no, what am I going to do? This is really coming off the rails again. I don't want to have to pull another Noah. I promised I wouldn't. I better send Jesus now. No. From before time began... God had a plan set in place. He knew the exact second Jesus would cry out as a baby born. God knew and had that plan. It was no accident or reaction. This was the time set aside by God from the beginning. God could have sent Jesus at any time. But he chose this time, this culture and place. And that means it was the perfect time. Now think about this. This one, this one always kind of makes me think. Like God could have waited until like technology was booming, right? I mean, why didn't God wait to send Jesus when there was an internet, right? Like, could you imagine the Jesus TikTok, right? Or Jesus Instagram? I mean, he's walking on water. It's everywhere. Did you see it? You know, YouTube videos, all kinds of crazy stuff. He could have been famous, right? He could have waited until technology was racing forward. He could have waited until when feminism was raging or the internet was available, but he didn't. God's perfect timing was just a little over 2,000 years ago. And we may think to ourselves, we're like, wouldn't it have been better for God to send Jesus now? I mean, in technology times? 
seeing people raised from the dead all across the internet, every video, every TikTok, it would have been crazy. Sometimes it's, we get into that point where we think we know what would be best, right? And if God would just wait, it would have been better. Whoa, 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 right? That's where we get into trouble. We start thinking these things. But God in his wisdom, his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. In his ways, his wisdom, he decides what is best. And God thought it was best, perfect, to send Jesus just a little over 2,000 years ago. The time is fulfilled, Jesus says. It was time for the prophecies to be fulfilled, and it was God's perfect timing. God's timing. Anybody here besides me struggle with God's timing? Right? We pray for things. I mean, I'll tell you what. Working on this new building, and uh, Todd, you're probably right here with me. We're, and Pat, the elder, we're looking at this building and working with all the construction guys, and we're, all these different things come into place, and, and we prayed about this building, and it's like, we said, what did we say? It was going to be fall. We should have been in it like two months ago, but God's timing's not our timing. We all have things in our life where we're just like, Lord, I, could you do this? We're working towards this. Not my will, but yours be done. One of the hardest sentences for any human to utter out of their mouth, right? Because it means I'm going to submit my life to your timing, God, not my timing. Because God's timing is perfect. This is a real hard truth that we can glean from this scripture. And what Jesus proclaims is that God's timing is perfect. And that before time began even... God knew what was going to happen. Every minuscule decision, everything you would do, God knew it. And in his, this uncomprehendable wisdom and providence, God works his will and his ways in our lives. And it's his timing. That's a hard one sometimes. It's a hard one. We have to submit to his timing to his wisdom. And really, when we're submitting to that, we're submitting to his goodness. Because God has good things. He's working in your lives. And he's going to do those things in his power and in his perfect timing. The second proclamation Jesus makes, the second filling in your notes, if you're following along in your bulletin, is that Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God is at hand. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. What did he mean by the kingdom of God is at hand? Jesus ushered in the kingdom reign of God. He was God in the flesh. God came to earth, and he was ushering in this new kingdom. Jesus came bringing a new and better covenant. He was bringing a new and better promise to people. That promise arrived in the flesh. They could talk to him. They could touch him. They could hear him. They saw Jesus face to face. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine seeing God face to face, Jesus? Just this amazing incarnation in the flesh. They could talk to him, touch him. Even remember that story of doubting Thomas. I'll believe when I touch the wounds. They could do that. Thomas did that. You see, in the Old Testament... When God made a covenant or a promise with his people, he solidified that covenant with his word of protection and care. He would provide and, and protect and care for his people, and they would 
follow his laws. And he gave these laws because it was the best way for them to live for their flourishing. And that was a way of life for God's people that would set them apart from any other people in the world. God had this covenant, this promise that he had made with this people. And the laws that he gave them was a part of that promise. And they were supposed to follow those laws because that was the best thing for them. Here's the problem. They could not keep up their end of the bargain. They failed to obey God's law. God never failed in his faithfulness to us. He never failed in his promises. But humanity, God's chosen people, they failed to obey God's laws. But God knew this would be a problem. And he planned to send one who could follow the law perfectly. One who, could, who would take on the sins of the world and create this new promise, this new covenant with a new people. Jesus ushered in the kingdom of heaven. In the ESV, it, it, it may be say it differently than in the NIV or different translations, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The perfect came in person, lived up to the letter of the law. His perfection would open the door for not just the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. It would open the door for anyone who would believe. Anyone who would put their trust in Jesus Christ could come and be a part of this promise that God gives. This was the kingdom of God coming and living out the power of God in the Son of God. Here's the thing, though. Jesus didn't just do that when he fulfilled the law. When he fulfilled the law, he ushered in the kingdom of God, the kingdom reign of God, the power of God. Jesus said that his kingdom is now, but it is not yet. Jesus' arrival was the arrival of the kingdom, but Jesus had some work to do. He would live out this perfect life. But then he would take on the sins of the world. He lived the perfect life that you and I can't live. Then he died a sinner's death on a cross. The pure and spotless lamb, one sacrifice for all, for me and you. And dying Christ has the power now as he's resurrected over death. And he has power and given us freedom from sin. This is that new covenant that God set through his son, Jesus Christ, for me and you. Now, we have glimpses of this coming kingdom in the life and work of Jesus. When you look at Jesus as he walked the earth and, and he healed those, we're going to see all these stories of healing and powerful works. We see glimpses of this coming kingdom, this not yet kingdom. In the life of Jesus. And that's, I mean, it's amazing. We get to see parts of that because Jesus is coming back again one day. And when he comes again one day, that kingdom that is not yet will be here forever. That's the not yet kingdom Jesus is talking about. The kingdom is here because Jesus is here. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The power of God through the Holy Spirit. But he is going to come and fulfill all things When he comes again that second time. The kingdom has come, but it will be fulfilled, ratified, confirmed, and established in Jesus' second coming. So the kingdom of God has come, but it is coming. 
It's one of the tensions that we live in that creates all kinds of questions for us. We have, we have to deal with sin, and we have to deal with the consequences of sin. I think this is one of the struggles a lot of people have with Christianity. This, this tension, this holy tension that we live in, the now and not yet kingdom that Jesus has come, that he's made a way for anyone to put their trust, their belief in Christ, the work that Jesus did. By grace through faith in Christ alone can we be saved. We have that, but we have the, the tension that we live in is that we have the Holy Spirit in us, but we still struggle with temptation. We still struggle with sin. And, and, and as you're on the outside of Christianity looking in on this tension and this struggle, you're like, why is this here? I mean, if, if God is good, why is there suffering? If God is all-powerful, why are these things happening? And it's this kingdom is here because Jesus came and the Holy Spirit lives in us, but there's this struggle with temptation because Jesus said he's coming again, and that's when he's going to set up shop and his government, and he will rule and reign. Man, it's, it's, it's a difficult truth that we have to deal with, and and talk through. And I think this is a key to working through it. That Jesus came and the kingdom of God is here. But it's fullness and, and I don't know how you could even say it. But Jesus' second coming, he's going to solidify that and set up everything. We will see him face to face. And all the suffering and all the pain, all of the questions, all of those things will be answered when we see him Face to face. So he was proclaiming his kingdom had come. But we know that his kingdom will come. The third thing Jesus proclaims. Jesus proclaimed repent and believe the gospel. The gospel means good news. And it was good news that Jesus came. Jesus didn't proclaim love. But he did love. In fact, he was love incarnate. Jesus didn't come proclaiming peace, but he is known as the Prince of Peace, and he did bring peace. He didn't come proclaiming his rule and reign, but he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he does rule and reign, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, holding the keys of life and death, sustaining all things. He didn't come proclaiming mercies, but his mercies are new every morning, says. Jesus came proclaiming, repent. Turn from your sinfulness and wicked ways and believe the good news. This is what Jesus came proclaiming. You see, Jesus knew the core problem, the main issue with humanity wasn't a lack of joy, peace, love, or any other thing. Now, although we need those things desperately, Jesus knew the number one problem with humanity was and is sin. Jesus came to set us free from sin. Jesus came to save us from sin. 
He came proclaiming repentance. And this Greek word metanoia means to turn from or do a 180. It means change. It doesn't mean I'm sorry. It means I'm sorry and I'm going to change in this way, this way, this way, and this way to make sure that I don't go down that road that I need change from. Repentance is action that we take. Jesus came to change us. Repent and believe. Repent and believe the gospel. This is two sides of one coin. You can have repentance without belief that does not lead to salvation. Let me say that again. You can have repentance without belief, and that does not lead to salvation. And you can believe there is a God and not repent. But when these two things come together at the foot of the cross and in the truth of the gospel, we find real life change. And that's what humanity was desperate for. Jesus, God, knew that's what we need. We need to be set free from sin. We need our hearts to be changed. And no one can change the human heart except for the creator of the human heart. So he came in person so that we would see what we need. And he came proclaiming, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. This belief, this believing is the kind of belief that determines action. We do what we do because of what we believe. I go to work because I believe I will receive a paycheck. I exercise because I believe I will eat cheesecake later. Or maybe it's ice cream. I heard my wife say that's true. I sleep because I believe my body needs it. You see, belief determines action. If I believe I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I believe that Jesus is that Savior who is strong enough to save me from my sin, I will do what he says and follow his commands. The problem is we believe, but oftentimes we need an, a deeper understanding of what we believe. We need a fresh revelation of God's truth of the person of Jesus Christ. We need a supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and open our minds to what we actually believe. To solidify it, that truth has to make it from here to here. We can know all kinds of things. I have heard all kinds of wicked theologians that can quote every scripture and every historical theologian, and they don't know Jesus from anyone. This truth, this, this gospel, this book that we study isn't just words on a page. It's a person, and his name is Jesus, and he's calling us into relationship with him. Real relationship, real belief. Our behavior reveals what we believe. And the fact of the matter is, we all have things we need to repent of and turn from. What is it that God is, is bringing to your mind right now, right after I said that? What is it that you need to turn from? Where is it that there's Pockets of disbelief, right? The things that we shouldn't be doing. I mean, we could make a whole list, right? 
of what the Holy Spirit, hopefully I'm praying, is bringing up in your hearts and in your minds right now. What is it that God wants to change in your life? What is it he wants to grow you through right now? What is it that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing? And it gets harder, though. It gets harder because we have sins that we commit, right? Those are called sins of commission. We commit those sins. But there's other kinds of sins. There's sins of omission. There's the, those are the things that you omit. Those are the things that you know you should do, but you just don't do them, right? Because there's probably a partial lack of belief in the power of those things. Like prayer, right? We all believe there's power in prayer today, right? Right? We believe there's power in prayer. So you pray all the time, right? Whoa, whoa, wait a second. Where's he going with this? No, right? If If we truly believed that prayer would change the world, how many people would show up at a prayer meeting? like our prayer meeting tonight, right? If we really believed it, we would do it. Prayer, I mean, that's one. What about attending church? We believe that Jesus commands us, that God commands us through his word in Hebrews 10 to gather together as the church, to not forgo the gathering of the saints, that we're to sing songs and hymns to one another, that we're to spur one another on to good works and good things. So we all come to church every Sunday, right? Hmm. What do we really believe? I mean, what do we really believe? The Browns need me there, Pastor. I mean, if they're going to win, Baker needs me on the sidelines or in the living room yelling at the TV. What do we believe? Serving, sharing the gospel, inviting our friends to church. All of these things we believe are good things. But what kind of belief do we have about those things? Is God really using those things? Does God really hear my prayers? Does God really use the church attendance? Does God really use my community to change my life? That's the hard stuff, right? That's the hard stuff. But that's the stuff we have to come to grips with. And here's the amazing thing. What did I say in the beginning? God really loves you. And in spite of the fact that every single one of us in this room and every person watching this online struggle to do what we talked about and believe what I just talked about, and all of us listening to this, me included, struggle with doing things that I shouldn't do, all of us can come in agreement with Paul when he says, I don't do the things that I need to do. I do the things that I'm not supposed to do. What a wicked man I am. And you know what? God still loves you. And he still sent his son to die for you, knowing that we would struggle with the sins that we commit and the sins that we omit and the things that we do. He knew that our lives would be just this mess that we created to be. And he still sent Jesus down from heaven to live a perfect life and to die the sinner's death that we deserve. That is God's love. And there's no love like it. We haven't done anything to earn it. There's nothing we could do that could merit it. That's his love. And we can ignore these things and like avoid the word repentance and avoid these sins that we're talking about today. And you know what we would do? We wouldn't value the grace we find. Can I get an amen on that one? 
Because when I look at my sinfulness, when I look at the wickedness that's inside of me, and I really come to grips with it, and God challenges me like this in his word, I go to him in repentance, and I say, God, forgive me. Because I watch things I shouldn't watch. I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I shouldn't do. What a wicked man I am. I need your mercy and grace. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, because I'm a sinner. And when I come to that kind of realization, I just don't sing a song out in worship like, oh, the cross, blah, blah, blah. There's tears coming out of my eyes because I know the cost. And I know it was my sin that hung him there. This is the kind of love that God shows us in Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel, that's what he's talking about. That's the gospel. And every single one of us need it. And every single one of us continue needing it. And it will carry us through. That good news will carry us through to when we see him again. When I see the grace of God for me, even in my weakness and brokenness, I am moved. But I'm not just moved emotionally. I'm moved to action. Because when I realize that kind of grace for me, when I see that kind of grace for me, I want everybody else to know about it. I want everybody to know that that's, that forgiveness, that mercy, that kindness, that unmerited favor from our creator God is available to my neighbor. And it's available to my family members that don't know him yet. Do you see why the gospel is so important? The gospel is not just something that saves us. The gospel is something that propels us into the Christian life. It, it, it inspires our evangelism. It inspires and compels us to holiness. It, it helps us to turn from sin and, and all of the things that are drawing us away from God's best for our lives. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus preached. Let's pick it up in verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and you will become fishers of men. What a great play on words. I wonder if it's like that in the Greek. Or he's probably speaking Aramaic. I wonder if it's like that in the Aramaic. I didn't look it up. I probably should have. But anyways, number four, the fourth proclamation Jesus makes is he proclaimed they would be fishers of men. The first thing I want to point out about this is that Jesus called fishermen. Here we go again, right? Like, as I talked earlier, and we're like, if God really wanted to send Jesus, well, shouldn't he send him with the internet, right? The TikTok thing and all that other stuff makes us think. This is another one of those things. Jesus calls these first guys, and they're fishermen, okay? Now, culturally in that time, there's, if there was any kind of status in the culture, you know, you have like doctors and lawyers and, you know, guys up here. Fishermen weren't right here. They were right here. They were down here. If Jesus was building his team, right, 
If he was, if he was picking on the playground, the guys that were going to be on his winning team, the guys that were going to change the world, right, that were going to be the preachers and the first ones to lay the foundation for his kingdom, right, and this gospel that he's proclaiming, Fisherman, really? Like these were the last guys you would pick to be on your team, right? I mean, shouldn't he go with like the top rabbi of the times, the top teacher? Wouldn't you go to the Pharisees or the teachers of the law? They were highly respected by all the people. These were the guys, the, the guys that everyone were drawn to. They had mega churches. They had thousands of people that would come, right? That's... Surely, God, surely, Jesus, that would be the person you went to, right? Nope. Nope. It was the guys in the, the uh, Kimball truck. He went to them. And he was like, hey, put that trash can down and come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. What? Here's something. The only reason I'm saying all that is... They, your status, what you've struggled with, what you've been through, where you're at in your life, you may smell like dead fish, like these fishermen. God's calling to you right now. If you're not in relationship with him, he is after you. You don't have to have, be all cleaned up. These guys were in the boats mending their nets. These guys were gutting fish. These guys were pulling them off the nets. They were stinky, gross, and the lowest of the low. And Jesus said, hey, come, come be my disciple. We're going to do life together for the next three years. I'm going to pour into your life. And Jesus is saying that to you right now. Put the nets down. Come on. Come follow me. I love you. i got a plan for you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to grow you. Unbelievable. God does things backwards, upside down. He's calling to you right now. It doesn't matter what mess your life is in. He's calling to you right now, and he's saying, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Have you ever felt like God couldn't use you? I'll tell you, I'll just be honest with you. Preaching every Sunday is hard. I'm like, God, are you going to use me this week? Do you, I mean, what, what do I have to offer, Right? Like, it's hard. But God use, God will use you. The gifts that he's placed in you, man, I, I talk about this all the time, but I think I need to, that God has called you here to Mission View Church on purpose for a purpose. You're not here by happenstance. You're not here on accident. Everything in your life has led up to this point where God has called you to Mission View Church. Now, I'm, I'm talking to those who are members here at Vision View Church. You've committed, you're here, you're all in. And God has given you specific gifts to use for his kingdom right now, right here. And to just show up on Sunday mornings is missing it. I mean, if you just show up on Sunday mornings, that's like a lose-lose. Because when we come together and we use the gifts that God has given us, for his church and for his people, it is a huge blessing to the church. Not only that, it's a huge blessing to us. As I use the gifts that God's given me, God continues to grow and change me and challenge me in the use of those gifts. 
It's a win-win. The church benefits, I benefit, and God is just being glorified left and right. But if we just show up on, you know, on Sundays, we're not, we don't do anything, and it's just like get some coffee and a donut and head home, you're wasting your time. It's a waste of time. God has a plan for you. He has gifted you specifically to do something for his kingdom. What is it? What is it that God is calling you to? Where are you going to be a fisher of men? What gifts has he given you? All of us, he's given every single one of us some kind of fishing rod. All right? It's kind of how it works. What is it? What's your fishing rod to make you fishers of men? Here's the other thing. I think, you know, as... Jesus calls us into a relationship with him like he's doing with these guys and like he's doing maybe to you right now. Maybe you don't trust in him. He's calling you into a relationship right now. Man, when, when your creator calls you into a relationship with himself, that is a secret you cannot keep. I, I think it's like this. It's terrible comparison, but I'll do the best I can, right? Christmas is coming up, right? It's right around the corner. You're like, oh my gosh. Don't talk about Christmas yet, right? Because we all have Christmas shopping to do, right? Tons of Christmas shopping. You're probably going to go home and open Amazon. But anyways, we get. have you ever found the, the Christmas gift to end all Christmas gifts? My parents did. I was about 12 years old. It was the year that Nintendo came out. Do you remember Super NES, Nintendo Entertainment System? I was probably 10 years old or something. Well, my, the story goes like this. My dad loves to go shopping on Christmas Eve. Nintendo Entertainment Systems were sold out Christmas Eve. So my dad ended up driving to Illinois and got the gift to end all Christmas gifts. The one gift that me and my two younger brothers were begging for months on end. It's the only gift we ever wanted. I remember, Dad, if you give me this gift, man, I'll never ask for another gift ever again. You know, you ever heard that from your kids? It's a lie. Um, but anyways, you know, it's the gift to end all Christmas gifts. Now, I didn't know that he drove to Illinois and got home at 6 a.m., even though I was up at 5 a.m., and Mom had to keep us in our rooms for an hour before Dad walked through the doors. And this was before cell phones, so she didn't even know if he had got one or not. Anyways, we come downstairs, and I remember Dad having this duck hunt. Do you remember duck hunt with that little plastic gun set up on the TV? And I was like, what is this witchcraft where you can point a gun at a TV and actually shoot a duck on the TV? I mean, it was unheard of when I was a little kid like that, right? It was, it was the gift to end all Christmas gifts. I remember that year as we were going out to all our families and I was going to see all my cousins. I had one thing to tell all of them. You're not going to believe this. I've got a Nintendo. You've got a core at my house today. After Christmas, everybody's going to come over. We're all going to play Duck Hunt. And then we're all going to play Super Mario Brothers. And it's going to be great. The gift to end all gifts. And we've been given the gift to end all gifts. New life in Christ has been given to you. It's been given to us in the grace and mercy we find at the cross of Jesus Christ. When we are called into relationship with him, man, it's so much better than Nintendo. It's so much better than cheesecake. It is so much better than anything. What is that gift 
inspiring you to do, encouraging you to. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son and the truth of your word. We thank you for these proclamations that Jesus has made. We thank you that we can be in this time where we can actually look back at history and see that Jesus fulfilled every single one of these proclamations. He did what he said he would do. What an amazing time to be alive. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. God, I pray that you would deepen our understanding, that you would open our eyes to your love. God, that you would call us to repentance by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would be a humble and repentant people that believe the gospel, not just believe it, but believe it in a way that changes the way we live, that it changes our behaviors, that it changes how we talk and how we act. God, draw us into deeper relationship with you, that you would be glorified through our lives. We pray that you would use us up for your kingdom, that nothing would be left when we come to see you face to face. We surrender to you for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song today.